0: Good morning, everyone. Um, I hope that uh, everybody is feeling relatively healthy and well in these extremely difficult times. And we are back for Thursday morning Torah. For those of you who want to follow uh, in the Chumash, the recommendation of the class, in case you're new to it, is the J.P.S. Tanakh that has the Hebrew and the English of all the Tanakh, that is the Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, all the books of the Bible. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Vayakhel Pakude, which is um, the ending of the Book of Exodus. And we're going to cover two topics, beginning with Petzalel, because Vayakhel, which paradoxically means gathering, Um, and it talks about how all the people should gather and then goes on to talk about Shabbat, which is kind of strange in our current uh, pandemic situation. Although actually, if you think about it, um, the truth is that probably more people will observe more of Shabbat this Shabbat than ever have. Um, Interestingly, however, you may or may not know that the Spartac chief rabbi of Israel issued a an edict that people can leave their phones on on shabbat because he wants them to uh, to know what the coronavirus updates are nonetheless presumably more people will observe shabbat than have before because they're going to stay home they're not going to spend money etc however um we're looking at the at the moment and the was the one designated to Create the tabernacle. He is the paradigm of an artist in the Jewish tradition. And I want to read you exactly what it says about him, chapter thirty-five, verse thirty-one. Um, the way it says that uh God has singled out and endowed him with the divine spirit of skill, ability, and knowledge in every kind of craft now rashi takes this and elaborates each of these um he says uh skill is that which a person knows from within ability is divine inspiration to make is that which has learned and the other is that which has been created by the atmosphere around you in other words Bitzalel was like the the positive version of the perfect storm. He has innate ability. He had the right atmosphere. He had the right um, appeal to God's wishes. And this, in some ways, um, both presages or, I suppose, reflects the discussion of what artists are. That is, is an artist somebody who has a certain innate ability? Is an artist somebody who learns something over a long period of time? Um, Some of you may remember not so long ago uh, the book that Malcolm Gladwell wrote, where he tried to identify the number of hours that a great artist has to put into any skill in order to be successful in that. Um, I think it is certainly the case that in any art, the combination of both skill and industry is almost indispensable. And I say almost because. There are those rare prodigies a la Mozart, who, although he did a lot of work as uh, a youngster, still showed almost preternatural abilities at an early age, such that you have to say that so much of it was inborn. Um, But nonetheless, Betzalel reflects both. Um, Betzalel reflects both the ability that God gave him and also. Presumably the learning of the craft, although exactly how he learned it um, in Egypt is uh, is not elaborated in the Torah. Nonetheless, building the tabernacle is, of course, not only an artistic, but a spiritual undertaking. And this is a theme that runs throughout the Torah Um, later on in the book of Amibar, in the book of Numbers. It will say by he by Yom Kalot Moshe hakim et Ha-Mishan, on the day that Moses completed building the tabernacle. And of course, Moses didn't build the tabernacle, right? We learned right here in this morning's parsha, in Chapter 35 of Exodus that Fitzalel built the tabernacle. And so the rabbis asked, what does it mean to say that Moses built the tabernacle? And their answer was that the tabernacle was not truly complete until. God's presence dwelled in it and God's presence came down because of the merit of Moshe. So there is this sense that you are both doing something physical and something spiritual um, in the same way that I think that we feel uh, when we walk into a a sanctuary or a beautiful uh, building that inspires us that it is you know that that, that architecture is what uh, in some ways what churchill called it frozen music and that that um sense that it is beyond the bricks and mortar of the structure is what the tabernacle was designed to do because obviously the tabernacle was what god said enabled god to dwell among the people because they made that commitment after the golden calf to build the tabernacle which was using the same resources that they had used for sin now for spirituality and for goodness um the other thing that i wanted to mention about this is that you know the the tabernacle and the spirituality that um that motivates the tabernacle presages the midrash the rabbinic legend about why the place where the temple was built was chosen to build the temple there are a couple of different reasons given one is that it was the mountain of which abraham took isaac to sacrifice um but the other is that that was a spot where two brothers lived near each other one had many children and one was childless and Each of them had uh, a farm and agricultural products on the farm. And at night, what would happen is that they would take some of their produce and bring it secretly to the other brother. The brother who had no children brought it to the brother who had children because he assumed my brother who has children has a greater financial need than I do. The brother who had children thought he should bring it to the brother who didn't have children because he will have no one to take care of him in his old age. And so he will need to store up more than I will because my children will take care of me. This defines him as an optimist. But either way, you understand that that the idea that the temple would be built in a place that showed in the quite in the most literal sense, brotherly love um, is an indication that the building has to have a heart, a spiritual component as well. Uh, And obviously this is a beautiful legend to remember in a time of pandemic. Um, That is everybody could assume that they need more because of their special situation just like in this story the brother with four kids i think it was four kids i don't remember the brother with many children could have assumed obviously i need more because i have kids i have more mouths to feed and the brother who was alone could have assumed obviously i need more because no one's going to take care of me in my old age and yet rather than making it about themselves they made it about the situation of the other i uh, I suggest to you that uh, we we spread this rabbinic legend far and wide. Um, Maybe it will have some slight effect on the the impulse that we all have to grab as much as possible uh, in order to ensure that we will be okay. Um, When in fact, we know all the time that ensuring that the other person will be okay is the moral imperative as opposed to the biological and natural imperative alone. Okay so that's that. Um, So the other part of the B'tsallel question is a question that is much broader and longer and that uh, we could spend a good deal of time on but I will just spend a minute on especially because um, one of the things that is happening all around our society is that exhibits and musical events and other cultural events are being cancelled right and left Um, and there is always a question about how indispensable arts, especially fine arts, are to a society. And that certainly uh, is being called into question right now because museums are closing, concert halls are closing, um, all sorts of cultural events are being canceled, postponed. And the Jewish tradition is generally not, in most people's mind, one that is associated with um fine arts with the visual arts especially but in fact here at the core of our tradition at the creation of the tabernacle we see Bezalel, who incidentally and probably unsurprisingly um the art institute in israel the major art institute in israel is called the Bezalel institute um here we see Bezalel, the artist exalted as somebody who has a spiritual wisdom not only a visual or a visual skill or a skill and craft and um, it is certainly true uh that the idea of a great artist is to spiritually deepen us um leonardo's uh classic uh two-word statement about his mission in the world was to learn how to see um and two words in italian not in english and that idea that the artist reconfigures our visual sense allows us to see the world in a different way um is certainly a spiritual as well as a cultural or social uh event now whether it makes people better is a long-standing question Uh, i don't know that Improves you morally unless you go to art to improve you morally, um, but it certainly deepens you and broadens you and opens the possibility that you will understand more of the world than you understood before those sorts of experiences were enabled to you. And certainly, the paradigm of Jewish art, which is the tabernacle, is designed precisely to do that. Um, it is supposed to bring God's presence and God's world word into the world and therefore has to be designed a certain way. Uh and the specifications are so clear in the Torah that you could recreate it. And some of you in fact may be following along in uh Chumashim in books like I believe the Stone Book Chumash, which has a model of how the tabernacle would have looked that carried the Lukot, that carried the commandments. Um, and uh and while we are at it, and especially in this time, it is worth remembering um, that not only the commandments, but the broken fragments of the commandments, Luchod <laughs> v'Shivrei Luchod, Munachim v'Haron, both of them rested in the uh, in the Aron, in the uh, in the Ark that they carried through the wilderness. Um, and the rabbis say, therefore, when someone is older if they've forgotten their learning, you should still give them the same respect and the same care and the same attention as when they were younger because both the tablets and the broken tablets were carried together. Uh, And since we are in a society now where the tablets are breaking uh, metaphorically, where there's going to be greater illness, sickness, and death and aloneness than there has been, that image of the tablets and the broken tablets is one worth keeping in mind. Um, I want to mention one more image that is a powerful one, which is uh, at the end of the book of Exodus, because this week is a double portion, it's by Yaquel Pude. So we are ending the book of Exodus. And there at the very end, I will read you the, um, I'm reading now from verse 33 um, through uh, 38. Uh, The last couple verses of Exodus chapter 40 from the very end of the book, when Moses finished the work, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the presence of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the presence of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their various journeys. But if the cloud didn't lift, they wouldn't set out until such a time as it did lift. For over the tabernacle, a cloud of the Lord rested by day and fire would appear in it by night in the view of all the house of Israel throughout their journeys. Um, That is a short paragraph of some five verses and the word cloud appears in each of them. Now, cloud is a fairly rare word actually to appear in the Torah. And it suggests almost always a certain mystery and a certain um, distance from rational knowledge. There is a a well-known book by a Christian mystic of the Middle Ages called A Cloud of Unknowing. And I think that that's a perfect title for the kind of, for what an Anand is here, for what a cloud is here. Um, The notion is that the cloud suggests that there is something that is not penetrable to the human mind. Uh, This notion um, of a cloud doesn't only exist uh, in the Torah. Um, It also exists in poetry. Uh, If you know Robert Frost's poem, O star, the fairest one in sight, we grant your loftiness the right to some obscurity of cloud, the obscurity of cloud. Um, And that poem, by the way, as long as we're on that poem, is a kind of perfect poem. Um, it's a kind of anti-panic poem, in a way, because it ends, it's not that long, and you could look it up, um, frost to a star, but it ends, and steadfast as Keats' Eremite. Eremite is a hermit. It's a, from a poem by Keats. Steadfast as Keats' Eremite. Um, we grant your loftiness the right. We, it asks of us a certain height, right? It steadfast us keeps aright. It asks of us a certain height. So when, in other words, we're supposed to be elevated. So when at times the mob is swayed, when at times the mob is swayed, okay, um, to carry praise or blame too far, we may choose something like a star to stay our minds on and be stayed. In other words, we can seek something higher at the moment, Frost is Choosing a Star, as something that is eternal, unchanging, beyond the praise or blame of the crowd. And I would say that Jewish study, God obviously, but Jewish study is exactly that sort of um, fixed point that allows us sometimes to avoid or at least to push against the great societal back and forth that makes it so difficult sometimes to remember where we should be standing. Now, speaking of where we should be standing, where we stand now in the Jewish cycle of reading the Torah is at the end of the book of Exodus. And so it is worth looking back on the book for a second, just for the last few minutes of the class, to try to summarize what the journey has been of the Jewish people up to this moment because those of you that have studied um, either with me or studied on your own or studied with someone else the book of Genesis know that the book of Genesis is essentially the family book of the Jewish people and the book of Exodus is the beginning of the peoplehood book of the Jewish people Um, Exodus the creation of the Genesis obviously begins the creation of the world, but the vast majority of the book is about the creation, the fights, and the eventual stability of a family. When Exodus begins, the Jewish people begin. Uh, they are no longer a family, they are an extended family. They are, in fact, fe- an extended religious family, which is precisely, by the way, what the Jewish people are. They're a religious family. That's why you can be born into them because they're a family, but it's also why you can join them just as you can join the family. Um, they begin in slavery. And part of the metaphor, the deep metaphor of beginning in slavery is not just a historical story. It is actually the journey of each soul that every person in the Jewish tradition is enslaved in some way and their liberation is in discovering that which is greater than themselves the israelites become liberated when they discover god who is greater than themselves the idea um i don't i don't want to speak about it because i'm not knowledgeable enough about it to draw the analogy too well but the idea for example in aa of surrendering to some higher power okay without the particulars of that you can understand the idea that liberation actually exists in surrender and here the jews have discovered that they don't want to be remember what moses says to pharaoh is often not misquoted but truncated it is shortened moses doesn't say let my people go is let my people go but that's not what he says or it's not all that he says He says let my people go that they may serve me. And on the face of it, that's paradox because if they're serving God, then all they're doing is exchanging one slavery for another. But obviously, obviously, at least to the Jewish tradition, service to God is freedom of the soul. And it's freedom and, and, and true slavery is slavery either to one's own impulses or to another human being but service to something greater than yourself is ultimately liberating and not enslaving and that is sort of the deep message of the book of exodus it's one of the reasons why the great critic northrop fry said only one thing happens in the hebrew bible it is the exodus by which he means that is that doesn't mean that's the only thing that happens obviously a lot happens but he means that is the guiding metaphor at every moment you can see the pulse of that metaphor run through the entire tanah, Um, because it is constantly a struggle between what is it that human beings wish to serve by their impulses by their daily wishes and what is it that the prophets and the sages and of course God are trying to get them to serve? And one of the reasons why Moshe's life, as we will see as we continue through the uh through the uh reading cycle and through the Torah, one of the reasons that Moses' life is so difficult is because he has to stand between God's wishes that the people should just worship him already and his understanding of of the deep human impulse to push against that um, because it means giving up or uh, letting go of so much of what we would naturally wish were we not being pulled to be better than we normally are. And so at the very end of the book of Schmot, which we just saw, God creates this tabernacle as a visible, constant sign and symbol of aspiration of something that is greater than yourself that you can look at and remember. And then the Jewish tradition creates a whole network of such visual aids, in essence, so that when you leave your house and you see the mezuzah, or when you wear a talit or tefillin in morning prayer, um, all of these things when you say a blessing before you eat, they are they are part of the realization that that surrender is not a single event, that it is a lifelong process, and that it doesn't have in Judaism the negative connotations that you might think because it's not supposed to be soul crushing. It's not submission in the same way as to obliterate the individuality of the person. Um, And and just as a a shorthand of evidence for this, remember that when you say, for example, the Amidah, and you say Baruch Atta Hashem, when you say God's name, you're supposed to be standing up. You bow at Baruch and Atah, but when you actually say God's name, you stand up because you are supposed to meet God in the fullness of who you are. It's why when God comes to Yehezkel, to Ezekiel, at the beginning of his message, he said, Stand on your own two feet and I will speak to you. That sense that you liberate people to be their full selves, which requires a certain surrender to that which is greater than themselves, is sort of the Jewish anthropology of the human being. And you see it in display very clearly in the book of Exodus, um, which is a people who are politically and socially liberated, but it takes them much, much longer to be spiritually liberated because they are still enthralled to idolatry and to the sort of mechanistic worldview, all I have to do is propitiate the gods and everything will be fine, um, that they learned in a world in which monotheism was a very, very rare um, and rarefied belief. But the basic lesson is still true. We are still a people that for whom stuff seems more real than spirit um, and acquisition than aspiration. So if we can take one lesson away from this. Reading this year's reading of the book of Shemot, uh, which we conclude on this shabbat. I think it would be That notion that spiritual aspiration It not only is this Very strange and, and remote concept, but actually has a day-to-day application Especially in a world that we sometimes feel is all dependent on Stuff um, and we are huddled with our stuff in our homes but i'm very glad that even if only virtually we got to spend a little bit of time reaching out to one another uh, i hope that i will see you at the mincha service at 5:45 45 today um, and i certainly look forward to seeing you for classes next week take care be safe and be well